Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Jesus, uh, we need to hear from you today. As was said in the, in the prayer before this, it's not about the people, it's about you through the people. And so we just pray for and ask for you to fill your lambs. We need a fresh word from you, Lord. We, we need something that only you can do. We, we need something that is not of our own making because you know us and you know how much we make a mess of things when we try to put our hands on the wheel. And so I just pray for uh, this time together. Lord, I pray for each person in this room, every, every child that's here to listen, Lord, that you would um, give them ears to hear and eyes to see. We lift before you also uh, Pastor Aaron and just pray that you would give him strength um, and pour your spirit upon him as he preaches and gives your word to uh, the people just north of here. And Lord, we also just lift before you a, uh, a, a really hard thing that's going on right now in our world, the, the conflict with Ukraine and Russia, Lord. Um, it's, just, there's, it's just, it's overwhelming. And sometimes we don't know what to, what to pray for in such overwhelming situations. So we just, we pray for your will to be done in that situation, Lord. We don't know if this is the beginning of the end of you coming back to your church. It, it kind of looks that way. But we pray for the people of Ukraine, Lord, that you would, you would bring them courage and safety, Lord, that you would even grow your church during this time of travail and persecution. We pray that you would help them, Lord, to have, to have victory in you. And please protect those people, Lord, because it's a, it's a tough battle that they're in, Lord. And we've seen you win battles over and over. We read in the, the Old Testament, Lord, so many times you, you came upon your people afresh and you did an amazing thing, and we ask that. We ask for you to win a victory for those people, Lord, who are suffering what seems to be needlessly. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's study the word. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's it. That's all we're doing today. Let's unpack that a little bit. So the book of Romans is a giant 
masterpiece of incredible theological depth. I was just talking with Dan before, and it's like, how can you even get through the book of Romans? There's just so much stuff in each, each chapter. Uh, each chapter has several verses that you could write books on, and it's true. Um, and Paul does this great job writing through Romans of touching on these huge issues at play in people's lives. He talks about creation. He talks about salvation. He talks about sanctification. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the nation of Israel. And all this is kind of building up in the book until we reach this point in chapter 12. And chapter 12 begins a kind of a change in the text where it's like, He's been instructing, he's been giving the word, he's been giving instruction, he's been, he's been building, and he's like, basically, now what? Now, how is this going to affect how you live? From verse, from verse 1 of chapter 12 to the rest of the book is a giant essay on how then should we live as Christians, having received that instruction. How then should we live? In fact, in verse 33 of the previous chapter, 11, he, he talks about this, this kind of momentous occasion because he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, and how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He's, he's rejoicing in all that has been revealed before. He's like, this is amazing stuff. And then chapter 12 comes and he says, now what? Now What? And thus the verses begin. And he says, I beseech you. I beseech you. Now what is he, what is he saying? When he, have you, has anybody ever had to, to beg for something? Maybe when you were a kid, you had to beg for, for a, a toy or a gift or a, a candy bar. I see my kids beg for candy bars. Please, please, uh, please can I have that? I'm thinking about the upcoming, uh, the upcoming fair and the Godmobile. You know what's at the Godmobile is the gospel. You know what else is at the Godmobile? Funnel cakes. <laughs> and there's this booth usually next, next to the Godmobile where this guy makes the most incredible kettle corn. And every time I go and tell people the gospel there, I always come home with a bigger and bigger bag of kettle corn. This thing's huge. And I wish I could tell you that it was uneaten before I got home, but that's, that's rarely the case. But, you know, the, those people, they beg for this, right? The stuff that they want. And Paul is begging. I beseech you. You know, you can kind of see him like kind of on his knees, like, please. Having received this information, knowing these things, I beseech you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? Well, let's, let's think about these words. Living is the adjective, and sacrifice is the noun. So it begins first with understanding that in order to be this living thing, there has to be a sacrifice first. Notice it doesn't say uh, alive and then sacrificial. It says a living 
sacrifice. The sacrifice must come first. In the Old Testament, when we deal with the, with the concept of sacrifice, it was always that an animal would be sacrificed or they would offer grain or these other sacrifices, and then there would be something in its stead. But that's different than what's going on here. He's saying be a living sacrifice. This is altogether very different. A living sacrifice. Again, it's not sacrificed living. It's a living sacrifice. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's the famous story of Martha and Mary. And this gives us a really clear understanding of this difference between a sacrifice living and a living sacrifice. I hope I can make that clear for you guys this morning. Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they were, excuse me, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This is, of course, uh, Martha inviting and welcoming Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Notice who is sitting and hearing. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? You guys have never acted that way, right? No, it's never been about you, right? No? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve Alone, I'm doing all the work. It's all on my shoulders. No one's helped me. Therefore, and then this is where it gets interesting. Therefore, Jesus, tell her. Nothing like telling Jesus what to do. That's a good way to start the day. Jesus, tell her. To help me. Don't you wish you could just do that sometimes? Lord, tell them to help me. And Jesus answered her and said, Go help her. Come on, lazy, listening to me talk, go. There's dishes to be done. No. And again, you can just imagine this, right? And Jesus answered to her, and you can just kind of, Martha, Martha, right? Or was it more like, Martha, Martha? I don't know how it was, but there was two Marthas, right? And you know he was like about to pull out her middle name, Martha, Martha, Josephine, Maybe she had four middle names. I don't know. 
Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. I wonder how many things she was worried and troubled about, you know? We're not told exactly what she was thinking besides the fact that she was doing this work, but usually when you're doing that kind of work and you're kind of like busy, there's something else going on up here, right? All those other thoughts, I can't believe they told me how to do that. I'm going to do this dish. Do every dish, every dish, every dish. Where's the palm oil? Come on. Where's my scrub pad? Somebody put my scrub pad somewhere. You know, and then that work, and the thing, and that's all. Martha, Martha. You want that again? You're welcome. No more. Cut off. You're worried and troubled about many things, but, and here's the thing, one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. Notice that the word good matches with the word one. There's that good part, and it's the one thing. Which will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha, Martha, Martha was doing this thing called sacrificial living. You've probably done this before. I don't know. It depends on how long you've known the Lord. Maybe you don't know the Lord here this morning. Sacrificial living. This is what sacrificial living is. It sounds good and all nice and wonderful, right? Oh, they're, look, they're very sacrificial and they're living. What it means is you're in control of your life and you're living the way you want to. And then when you decide it's convenient or that there's company around and you want to play like the hero mode, that you're going to act all sacrificial, when you want. And see, there's a problem with that. The problem isn't that you want to, that the, the desire to sacrifice is wrong. The problem is that you're still in control of your life. That's the problem. Why, why was Martha doing all these things? Distracted with much Serving. What was she doing? You know? Oh, he needs more matzo meal. Bring out the bread. You know? He's like, I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking here. You know? I know what he wants. Pizza. You're going to bring out some pizza. No, I'm, I'm good. Like I told you, I'm fine. We're, we're talking. Oh, napkins. You know? Olive oil. I'm going to anoint his head with oil. Dude, stop, my, stop pouring stuff on my head. I mean, what was she doing? She's doing what so many people do. Oh, I, I've, I've been trained to think, to know what's right to do in this situation. I know. I know what to do. I know what to do. I'm going to work myself to the bone, whether it's called for or not, because that's what she's learned how to do. We are all taught these kinds of things. How you were raised was teaching you how you ought to do. I remember before we used to have like house parties, my job was as a kid, was to vacuum the stairs. We had the ugliest carpet 
on these stairs that they said they would replace within a year of having moved into it. It was never replaced until my parents sold the place. <laughs> We're talking like carpet that's like the combination color carpet, like green, orange, brown, mustard. The great thing about it is that dirt was very welcome there and you didn't notice it. But I tried my hardest to, 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 like, you know, to vacuum this carpet to make everything. But the problem was, no matter how much you vacuum carpet like that, it looks terrible. Because its nature is terrible. Like, just look at it. Like, why should we spend it? And it's kind of like that. It's like, it's like pouring all of your effort into something that is already soiled and dirty and looks bad. And, and then, but you're just like, but I'm going to make it look fantastic. And nobody cares. Nobody showed up for the party and was like, Jeff. Carpet looks great. They were all like, don't talk about the carpet. <laughs> because that's what, that's what Martha was doing. She was distracted. And there's nothing wrong with preparing. But, but being distracted in the preparation, you can prepare for the wrong thing. And you can prepare the wrong thing over and over and over again because you've been taught to live a certain way, that you have to do things a certain way, that you have to prepare a certain way, and guess what? You're still in control. Mary, Mary is the example of what's talked about in Romans. She's a living sacrifice. What does that mean? She's already decided, having met Jesus, that the best thing to do was to not give in to how she's used to doing things. And from that place of sacrifice, she's, gonna lay, she's laying herself down. Don't you think possibly within her was also that same urge that Martha had? I'm sure it was. You can feel, you know, you know when you feel those social pressures within families? You ever been out to eat and someone begins, like you're having a great family meal. I, I think these are moments are so interesting. You have, a, you have a meal, maybe you have people over, everybody's enjoying themselves, it's wonderful. And then that one person stands up and begins to clear the table. And I always think to myself, oh no, they think they have to serve. And I'm not against that. But as soon as that one person does it, even if it's like the most wonderful thing, Everyone else begins to think at the table, oh, I'm not doing enough. I still want another piece of pizza. <laughs> Is the meal over? I was hoping for some more. Oh no, it's beginning to end. Dessert. Maybe there's dessert. Everyone's thinking the same thing at the same time that you're thinking, uh, should I do more? And then everybody, if he had this, everybody stands up and begins clearing the table and then like the table is empty. And it's like the social time's over and people are in the kitchen putting things in trash cans and, and, and then it's confusion. Have I described your Thanksgiving? Your Christmas? Nothing like awkward family serving... But Mary was a living sacrifice because it wasn't about her life. She, she knew those social pressures, and, it, and you're going you're gonna to sense them. But she wasn't ruled by them. That's the issue. 
What are you ruled by? Have you died to your own ruling about what you think is best and is your ear open to the one who really is the source of life and living? You see, so often in, 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 the, in the Christian world, I think a lot of people get this mixed up. Have you ever served out of a sense of guilt? Have you ever done something because you thought it was simply expected of you, not, not because Jesus asked you to do it? Have you ever been to something or some kind of event where you're like, fine. Jesus loves that. Oh, great. Greg's getting in the car with fine. Bravo, Greg. If there's any Gregs in here, I'm so sorry. But get your act together, seriously. <laughs> to live as Jesus lived, isn't that, isn't that kind of, is, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Christian, right? Little Christ, that's the goal. But for us to really, to do that, we have to flip this thing in our lives where you don't put your living first. In fact, what you have to put first is the dying. That's your job. You want to you be like Jesus? Focus more on dying. Keep focusing on dying to yourself. Keep focusing on laying your life down. Keep focusing on, you know, kind of bowing before the king. And then the living comes up from the ashes of your death. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We've heard that verse, right? We sing it. We think about it. I have been crucified with Christ. But this is the key to living out this living sacrifice. Is always coming back, not to the place of more serving, more thinking, more this and that, but to more dying. More dying is needed in the church. More dying is needed in your life. You don't need to do more stuff. You need to die to more things. You don't need more thoughts. You need Jesus' thoughts, which means your thoughts have to die. And this is why the sacrifice has to come first. The sacrifice must be the thing that you focus on for there to be the living of that sacrifice. And it starts with this. It starts with a severe hatred for the things of the flesh and the things that are sin. There's a lot of, there's a lot of kids in this room today. I know we're having family church. And I know kids are drawing stuff. That looks like Picasso. That's kind of cool. It's like this one eye, huge head. 
It's cool. I like it. I want all the children to, to lift up their heads and, and listen for, for a, a moment. I want you to listen to something. Because the adults probably have heard this, and they probably know this, but they need to hear it too, but you need to hear it too. You need to learn to hate sin. You, you need to learn that when that thing wells up inside you that's called anger, that you do not like it. When that thing happens where you're envious of, of someone else's stuff, that you say to yourself, I don't want to live that way. Children, you, you need to learn that sin is your enemy. And sin will always tear you down. And, and Jesus came to save you from that enemy. Je- Jesus came to help you to turn away from sin. Jesus talks about our hearts. It's always back to the heart. Jesus talks about our heart. He says, for out of the heart, and and, and look in your heart. Look in your heart, children. Look in your heart, adults. Out of the heart proceed these things, evil thoughts. You ever had an evil thought? You ever had an evil thought that was so evil, you're like, I can't believe I even thought that. Eesh. I've had evil thoughts. Thefts come out of the heart. False witness or lying. Blasphemies. He says these things are the things that defile a man. They are the things that defile a woman, a child, a kid. The things that come out of our hearts. We have this problem. We have this giant problem. And the giant problem is sin. And whenever you give into it, It always is going to tear you down. It's never going to help you. It's always going to hurt you. And that's why the sacrifice must come first, because that's where we get this thing beginning to go in the right direction. We say, I'm going to to hate sin. I'm going to turn myself away from this concept that is always destroying me. And when I give into it, I always end up in trouble. What kid in here wants to stop getting in trouble? You want to just not be in trouble for the rest of your life? Who'd like to not be in trouble for the rest of your life? Yeah, okay, okay, adults now. Who wants to not be in trouble the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, okay. Here's step one. Begin to hate sin. Hate it. How do you, how do you think, well, let's look at this current situation, right? This Ukraine-Russia thing right? Do you, do you like or hate what Putin is doing? Which is it? I hate it. Don't you hate it? Someone's coming in and taking a bunch of people's stuff. Think about someone coming into your house and taking your stuff. Do you like it? Do you hate it? You guys are not participating. Do you like it or do you hate it? Yeah. How do you feel when people lambast and say bad things about you? Do you like it or do you hate it? Hate you it. hate it. Guess what? You hate sin. Everyone does, especially when it's directed at them. But what about your sin? I mean, it's pretty easy to hate Putin's sin. What about 
your sin. What about your gossip? What about your thievery? What about your evil thoughts? Do you hate that too? A living sacrifice begins with the sacrifice. And that all begins with hating sin within you. It's really easy to point and hate other sin. You need to learn how to point to your own sin and say, I hate that. And then you give that to the Lord. And that's the beginning of the Christian life. That is the born-again experience. Is saying, I hate sin so much. How do I get rid of this thing? I can't stop doing it. It's controlling my life. It's controlling me. It's controlling how I think. It's controlling what I do. It's controlling my behavior. How can I be set free from this thing? The answer is Jesus on a cross. The answer is Jesus on the cross. But you have to come to him. You have to say, I hate sin so much, I want it to be rid of it, and I'm coming to you so that you take it away from me. Jesus, take this away from me. And come in and clean this mess up. This heart. Clean this heart up. Who, who tried to clean themselves? Who's tried to clean themselves up? Anybody? All the hands, right? Okay, let's try that one more time. Who's tried to clean themselves up? Okay, I, there's a couple of people who are liars. Um, straight up. You've tried to clean yourself up. You probably try every day. Guess what? Martha, Martha. <laughs> Steve, Steve. Jeff, Jeff. Gus, Gus. You've all tried it, right? It's the self-help section of your own heart. <clears throat> Did it work? 100% failure. Let's try it again. 100% failure. Let's do it again. I just try harder. I'm more distracted. Uh, more vigilant. I'll fail for sure this time. And faster and harder. And make more of a fool of myself. It's going to be great. That was basically me in my 20s. It was just trying and failing and trying and failing because I went about it the wrong way. I was trying to control my own life. I was trying to live and then sacrifice from that deep, empty black hole that I called life because it wasn't life. The word for living here is the word zao, which is related to the Greek word zoe. And the, and the word life is, is more than just like, is it alive or dead? It's like, this is the fullness of life. This is the meaning of life. This is what it's all about, a beautiful life. What is, what is beautiful living? It's, it's everything that sin is not. 
It's compassion, it's kindness, it's the fruit of the Spirit. How do you get there? Not by you. You're not going to get there by you. And sometimes, even after you've received Christ, and if you haven't done that today, if you've not actually laid down your life, at the end we're going to pray. And you come up here and you lay your life down and ask Jesus to do the work that only he can do. But even, even if you've received Christ, you can still be tempted to do this Martha thing where you begin, okay, Jesus saved me, but I've, I've got stuff, but I've got stuff to do, right? Jesus is on the throne, but I've got stuff to do, right? This is like, oh no, Martha, Martha, you know? This is not a living sacrifice because it's flipped. And you can live like for five years being flipped and, and not, even, not even recognize it. So sacrifice first. Dying to yourself first. Laying your life down first. Hating sin first. Coming to Jesus to forgive you first. And then what? Let's say you've taken care of that, or let's say you do take care of that today. What now? How do I live as a dead man? Because that's what you are. Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. Very pertinent. You guys are very apt pupils. Well done. <laughs> it all stems and grows out of the sacrifice we just talked about. You see, sometimes think, people think as, as they mature in, in Christianity, there's this thing in our minds, because it's the way the world works, that there's this like next level in following Jesus, right? Okay, I, I, got, I got saved. I received Jesus, and I've been walking with him for a while, and now step Two. This is kind of what happened with the disciples. They were like, when are we going to rule and reign with you? And you're going to throw down thunder from heaven and destroy a bunch of people. And we're going to pretend that we're living in a Marvel universe. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter. <laughs> James, James. Guys, there is no next level. Christian maturity is more about staying in the place of a sacrificed life. And Christian maturity is coming back to the place of dying to yourself more and more quickly. The young Christian is, is, is glad and thankful for the sacrifice, but they forget about it and it takes things moving and their boss yelling and their dad looking to be like, oh yeah, I've been living for me again. The mature Christian is one who doesn't go on to the next thing but comes back to square one more often, more quickly. Christian maturity is repenting more frequently 
Christian maturity is going back to the cross more often. You begin, at first, at first you come to the cross as a stranger, and you're like, I didn't know I was supposed to be here. This is crazy. I'm here. And then later you're like, I guess I need to stay here until you bring a pillow. And you're like, well, maybe I'll just kind of hang out here more often. And then, and then you, a couple more years, and I'm like, let's just put the bed here. Like, like, actually, you know what? Let's put the living room here and the kitchen. And you begin to orient your whole life around the cross. And you just move every piece of furniture that you have. The boudoir. <laughs> just a fun word to say, right? Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. There's an interesting critique of the church of Ephesus. Because they're going through this same kind of thing. Revelation 2, let's begin in verse 2. He's speaking to the church of of Ephesus, and he says to them, I, I know your works, right? And think of yourselves. Jesus knows the things you've done. Great. Your labor. Great. You've done things for him. Awesome. Fantastic. Your patience. Oh, great. You've been patient. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Hey, you, we're back to hating sin, Right? He's like, that's great. I know all this. It's awesome. Keep going. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Hey, you've got some discernment going on. Great. And have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And then, and that's the end, right? Uh, No. That's That's a lot of stuff. Right? I, I, I don't have that many things. I, I'm working on those things. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Wait, what? I thought they just did all these things. They did the works and the labors and the patience. They've tested people. They persevered. They have not become weary. These are model saints. These are amazing people. And Jesus is like, ah, I think you've been working at the wrong thing. I think you've been working at the wrong thing. He doesn't just tell them you've ignored your first love, like, oh, Jesus, uh, Thursday. We'll worship Thursday. He says you left You left. What does it mean to leave someone? It means you're walking away. You left, he says. You left your first love. Martha and Mary. What did Mary have that was so precious and so good? Square one first love. Square one. And she wasn't moved by it. She wasn't moved away by it. This is to be 
commended because it's the, that's, that's the living of the sacrifice. So a living sacrifice is one that keeps coming back to the altar again. L- let me put it another way. When you wake up in the morning, if you have morning devotions, time with the Lord, you're going to a white funeral. You're burying yourself again. And what is a Bible study? But a time to die to self. Sometimes my kids ask me, Dad, why, why do you read the Bible in the morning? And I'm like, you don't want to see what comes out of this if I don't spend some time with Jesus. And they already know things that come out of this even when I do spend time with Jesus. I'm like, it's going to be worse, kids. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, you're gonna, you're like settle our expectations to dad, which is a great thing, you know, establishing your family that way, right? Your, your morning Bible study is a morning funeral. And guess who's the guest of honor? You in the box. And Jesus comes and says, let's Let's see how this living can go now that you've died again. You want the next level in Christianity? Go back to the cross. Repent. Go back to your first love. And then he'll tell you what to do. But if you stay in control of your life, And then you try to just sacrifice and make it cleaned up from there, it will fail. And it will be fruitless. Let me just frustrate you for a minute. It'll be fruitless, <laughs> hopeless, not much progress, constantly going in the same things. I've run out of adjectives. <laughs> terrible. We'll just end it there, terrible. You know, I was thinking about, again, our, our missionary friend, John Markey, and I was contrasting in my mind that there's been some news on these uh, Russian oligarchs. First of all, I'm glad that they brought back the word oligarch. I, I missed that from history class in high school. But they are these guys who are basically making tons of money off the backs of people. And I, I looked at these pictures. Of, has anybody seen some pictures in the news of the Russian oligarchs? Whoever their camera guy is is fantastic, Right? They're like these old dudes with like the most droopy faces, you know, um, always face down like this. And I'm thinking they have so much money. They have these giant yachts. Why aren't they smiling in these photos? And then I contrast that to our missionary friend, John Markey. He's, he's got this Facebook video. I don't know if you guys have seen it. If you, if you get the chance, I think we sent it out. Please watch it. He's talking about the travails he's going through. He doesn't know if certain, because other members of his family are also church planters in the Ukraine. And he's like, he's, he's talking about the, the tragedy. And then he slips in, and God is so good, and God is so good. And I'm thinking, how do you explain that? That this dude over here with everything he could possibly want, with the most sullen and crazy and sad and depressed face. And here's John. And he's, he's praising the Lord in the midst. Guys, that's what happens. That's the fruit of being a living 
sacrifice. Always put the sacrifice first. Don't let it slip. And this is why Paul says in that second verse, I'm finally moving on to verse 2, by the way. (laughs) We'll get the whole chapter in, pretty sure. No, no, no. I can tell the people who laugh know me. The people who don't laugh are just freaked out. (laughs) What? They said there was going to be food. When? Three? Four thirty? How long does this guy go? Long time. This is why. <laughs> that's my son. He goes, that's true. <laughs> Best be glad I had my Bible study this morning. But this is why he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. You have to wrestle and take the thoughts and you have to wrangle yourself. Do you have to wrestle yourself? Yes, you have to wrestle yourself. You have to wrangle yourself into that place where you sit yourself at that white funeral day after day after day because that's where the living comes out of. And if you've done that, Or if you know that, then you know how glorious the living is to that sacrifice. You come out of there and you're like, oh, I have this peace. Oh, I have this power. Ah, I have this glow. I have zoe. I have what life is meant to be, the Jesus life is the life. Like, have you ever dreamed about, what's my dream life? It will not be topped by the life Jesus has for you. It's impossible. The life Jesus has for you is better than all the dream life things, scenarios you could wish for. Look at the Russian oligarchs. They got it. Droopy. And they still have to speak Russian. Poor guys. (laughs) That's a a tough thing. It's an interesting language. We're going to finish in the book of Exodus as we transition to, uh, to communion here. In, in the book of Exodus, of course, when the Israelites were set free, they began to complain after having been rescued through the Red Sea. The Lord did this amazing work. It's kind of like the work the Lord Jesus does on the cross for you and me, right? He sets us free. And then we're like, I am free. And then guess what they did with their freedom? They said, and the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. If only we could go back to slavery. And when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord does this really amazing, gracious thing. Um, worship team, you can, you can all come up as we begin. And he responds with this in verse 4 of Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. 
This is where God got the idea from manna. A, a hidden source, something they did not expect. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Why do you think they had to go every day? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. It's the same thing. He wanted them to come to him every day. He wanted them to realize that they couldn't survive out here with their own sustenance. They needed to die every day going out to meet with the Lord and receive from him that beautiful manna, that hidden meal that only the Lord could provide in the most miraculous way. The same thing is true for us every day as we come sacrifice first. Sacrifice first. And then the Lord will provide the sustenance. And as we transition to communion, as we sing this song, I want want us all to kind of just be focused on that. The Lord has, has made a way. And His bread and His cup is here to give you sustenance and to feed you again. Maybe you've been living the wrong way. Maybe you've got this thing flipped up. Maybe you haven't been sacrificing first. Maybe you, maybe you don't know Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning. But I know this. The Lord has bread and wine for you to heal your wounds and to teach you His ways and to show you what it means to be living sacrifice.